Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Emerging markets take a turn for the worse. How should UK investors respond? The HMRC crackdown that threatens huge financial difficulties for thousands of low earners. And what is the ideal number of homes that anyone should own? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm James Pickford, Deputy Editor of FT Money, and I'll be giving you this week's money news in downloadable form. What a difference a year makes. After the high-growth era of 2016-17, a period when investors believed emerging markets could do no wrong, their faith in these markets has been sorely tested in the maelstrom conditions of 2018. Crises have ripped through the economies of countries like Argentina and Turkey, triggering pain for emerging markets everywhere as the contagion has spread. Kate Beerley has been looking at what this means for UK investors in this week's FT Money cover feature. Kate, thanks for joining us. How bad is it out there and what has caused this crisis of confidence? So people are talking about a perfect storm hitting emerging markets this year. So the first thing says that for the past two years, 2016 and 17, emerging markets were doing really well. So among the best performing funds, for example, of any sector. But that has all changed this year. And it started with this shift in US monetary policy, which we saw kind of throughout 2017. That might seem strange because the US is obviously a long way away from many of these emerging markets. But in fact, the fate of US interest rates and the fate of the dollar uh, dictates to a large extent the performance of emerging markets. Now, that's because when US interest rates rise, investors can earn higher returns in the US. They don't need to take uh, such risk um, for the high returns in emerging markets. That results in capital flight from emerging markets as US um, investors pull money out and others. A strong dollar is also bad for emerging markets because investors worry about the volume of dollar-denominated debt that emerging market countries hold. Uh, that's because during periods when emerging market currencies were particularly weak, many of them chose to sell bonds denominated in dollars instead or borrow in dollars instead of printing more of their own money, for example. So all of those factors have led to currency crises in countries like Argentina and Turkey, where we've seen real rapid weakening of those currencies and South Africa. Africa too, and other countries where they have particularly big current account deficits. 
Thank you. Well, most investors, of course, won't be directly invested in companies, individual companies in those markets, but will hold money in funds that have broadly spread their assets across many countries and regions. How badly are those funds affected by these individual countries? Yeah, well, not not that badly, really, and certainly not that badly compared to uh, the the single countries like Argentina, for example. I mean, Argentina, which encountered further issues yesterday when the finance chief mm. quit after three months in the post. Now, the MSCI Argentina, which is an index of those stocks, is down almost 50% in the year to date. And that's compared to a gain of almost 60% last year. So that's obviously seen a huge swing. Uh, but in fact, the average global emerging market fund in year to date is just down by 8%. So it's obviously a fall, but nothing like those really dramatic swings in countries like Turkey. Now, one of the things you've said in your piece is that um, certain countries, particularly in Asia, uh, are doing better. They're they're more robust. China, um, uh, South Korea. Um, But aren't those facing some pretty dire threats from Donald Trump's trade war? And should investors be worried about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, China is locked in this trade war with Trump, which kind of ratchets up uh, week on week. And the Trump's 200 billion round of tariffs against China took effect on Monday. So obviously, that will have an impact on companies in China, but markets haven't really reacted very strongly as yet. China's bigger issues, in fact, are arguably domestic, as its exports to the US make up quite a small chunk of its economy in relative terms. And obviously, China does have some muscle to fight back. Uh, We're seeing kind of tit for tat um, tariffs and action there. So I think there is a sense that we don't quite know how this will play out yet and who will uh, end up worse off. And ultimately, China does remain one of the world's largest economies. Um, MSCI, uh, an index maker, is about to increase the weight of China in many of its main indices, which will see money flood in. So, yes, obviously, the trade war is uh, is a kind of storm cloud for Asia, but we don't know to what extent um, it will be affected. And it doesn't have the same kind of structural weakness as some of the other emerging markets. Now, looking at some of the countries which have suffered the steepest falls, um, is there now an argument that there are some bargains to be had there? Um, you know, or is there still this consensus in the market that there's, there's more pain to come? Well, a bit of both, really. Uh, there is a kind of general consensus that there is likely more pain to come and we don't quite know how much. Um, although it has to be said that uh, the issues um, around things like the stronger dollar don't affect all emerging markets in the same way, or in fact shouldn't, as a lot of countries have really been kind of trimming their dollar-denominated debt piles and have been, in a sense, unfairly beaten up. Um, but yes, sentiment-wise, uh, there is a general sense more pain could be coming, but equity valuations are now trading at more than 40% discount to the US market in terms of price earnings. And that's a big gap. It's the widest since 2002. And emerging market currencies, with the exception of China, they're approaching pre-2008 crisis lows. So, you know, these markets are looking cheap, even though in the near term, they might also be pretty volatile. Thanks there to Kate Beerley. And you can read more about the impact of the emerging market turmoil and how to protect your investments in FT Money's cover feature by Kate this weekend. Paul Lewis is the last person you would expect to speak up on behalf of tax avoiders. Nevertheless, in his latest FT Money column, the Moneybox presenter has done just that as he shines a light on a tax problem affecting around 50,000 workers. He joins me on the line to explain. Welcome, Paul. Hi, James. So... The issue concerns contractor loan schemes. Can you explain what these are and how they work? 
Yes, I mean, they were clever wheezes that were invented more than 20 years ago, so that instead of you receiving your pay directly, you, it was paid to a, a third party, another company, often offshore, and then the offshore company lent you your pay back, so you didn't actually get it as pay, you got it as a loan. And, of course, they charged you a small fee for doing this. Now, the belief at the time was that these were therefore... Um, untaxable. This money was not income, it wasn't taxed. And this went back and through the courts and eventually in a, a famous case involving Rangers Football Club, the Supreme Court ruled that, well, they were taxable. Um, the money should have been subject to deduction of income tax. But they were used a lot, not by wealthy footballers, but by ordinary contractors, whether they were IT contractors, business consultants, or in fact quite a lot of nurses, doctors, teachers, social workers, um, and they just thought that they were advised that they could have their money free of tax in exchange for this small fee. Well, it, it, you've spoken to some of these workers who found themselves landed with gigantic tax bills. Um, and it sounds as if, unlike the, the, the normal case of uh, tax avoiders, uh, you think we should perhaps be feeling a measure of sympathy for them? Well, I think there are a couple of things that make me feel uncomfortable about what the revenue is doing. The, the government avoided the question of whether this is really taxable or not, because there's a lot of legal views on it. And it passed a new law to say... If ever you've received a loan for your pay, we are going to make a charge equal to the tax that would have been due. We're going to go right back to 1999 and you're going to have to pay the whole lot on April the 5th. So, yes, people are expecting and some have had eye-watering, life-changing bills, tens of thousands of pounds for people on modest incomes. One chap I spoke to who was a contractor, is expecting £300,000. Now, people are going to have to sell their houses to pay those or go bankrupt. So I feel sorry for them just from that sort of personal level. Secondly, I think they were encouraged or even forced to take on these schemes as a condition of working. And as they say, they weren't financial experts. How would they to know that this really was just an artificial scheme to, to save uh, tax and, of course, to earn the promoter's money? So I do think there are reasons to feel that, that this has been badly handled. It sounds like a lot of people are in a, a difficult situation. What have HMRC said about this when you've put your concerns to them? Well, I, I talked to Mel Stride, the minister in charge, the, the financial secretary of the Treasury, and his view is very tough. Um, he said these schemes have always been ineffective. He's used stronger words in the past. He says they've never worked. They've always been tax avoidance. Um, he denied, as many people think, that passing a law just last November to charge people right back to 1999, he denied that was retrospective. He just said it was not retrospective. A lot of people don't agree with that. And of course, he says, and I think we'd all agree with this one, that it's unfair on people who paid their taxes if those who avoided doing so didn't have to pay the full amount. And I specifically asked him if he would have any further look at this. And he said in a, a slightly longer sentence, but basically he said no. <laughs> so how else do you think the, the authorities could have tackled this issue or, or ought to tackle this issue? Well, 
I think the question of retrospective legislation does worry a lot of people. And although they're saying they're just recovering the tax they should have paid, you know, 20 years back is, is normally reserved for real criminals who have deliberately concealed income, lied about their income, hidden VAT. So going back 20 years is very harsh. Um, not chasing the people who promoted these schemes and getting the money off them is also... Uh, seems wrong to me. Now, we don't really know what effort the revenue has made, and indeed, we don't know if these firms would have any of the money they should have. Not chasing the employers, who quite happily didn't deduct tax, as most employers do, and paid this money offshore. Um, what are they doing about them? Again, we're told some of those have come forward, but we're not quite sure how that's going to affect the individuals affected. So I think they could have not gone back far, and I think they could also um, give people longer to pay. If people come forward by sort of the end of September, they've been promised they will get five years to pay, but even that will mean they're paying treble tax for five years, in some cases quadruple tax for, for five years, and that seems very harsh to me as well. So a longer period and perhaps not going back so far, and of course looking backwards, why on earth haven't they tackled this during the last 20 years? Why are they waiting till now? So things about it make me feel uncomfortable, but I'm absolutely clear this was tax avoidance. It shouldn't have been done, and the people who did it probably, in most cases, should have known better. Thanks very much there to Paul Lewis. You can read his column on contractor loan schemes in the FT Money section of the Weekend FT this Saturday or online now at ft.com slash money. For our final item, I'm joined in the studio by James Max, author of our FT Money column, Rich People's Problems. Now, James, you've outdone yourself once again by producing a column that is likely to infuriate a, a section of our readership, but also delight uh, another section, which is exactly what one wants from a columnist. I see. Um, well, uh, thank, thank uh, you. Thank, thank praise <laughs> but indeed. It's, uh, but it's definitely going to, you know, it's going to wind some people up and others are going to like it. Our shorthand summary in the office of this column is um, why everyone should own three houses. Um, so, so some people listening to that might think, well, there's nothing particularly unusual about having three homes if, you know, you're into buy-to-let uh, or you're, you're simply renting them out. But that's not quite what you're thinking about here, is it? No, it's not. And uh, I, I do recognise that on one hand, uh, some people will read this and they will go, what on earth are you talking about? Do you really need to talk about this? Uh, isn't it rather embarrassing? Aren't you embarrassed to have more than one place? Or, you know, this is terrible when we've got people sleeping on the streets and all that sort of business. And, and, and I genuinely do think that there is a huge amount that we as a society have to do in order to ensure that people do have a roof over their heads. However, um, I think we have to also be aware that there are people who, for whatever reason, they've been lucky enough or, or clever enough or uh, have become rich enough to be able to go off and buy more than one home. And once one moves away from uh, every road leads to Brexit and uh, you can't possibly have, uh, you know, you can't possibly talk about these things in public. The thing is that a lot of people do have second homes. And the reason that they have a second home is that they might perhaps have a very small bolt hole where they work and they just want to get away. It doesn't mean that you have to have enormously expensive palatial mansions. Uh, we're not talking about, you know, sort of footballers and, and football managers here. Some people's second homes are actually very small or, or it might even be, you know, a cabin somewhere or, or a, uh, a barge. All I'm suggesting is that in addition to that second home, 
there is also that third bolt hole. And the third bolt hole is somewhere else to go to, which might be away and abroad and somewhere else, which for me happens to be in the French Alps. And it's been an amazing thing. Um, It's a great investment. I think it's something that allows you to focus and organise your life in a way that means that you're not forever looking for the hotel that is kind of as good as the last one you went to, but maybe not the same because you don't, you know, you just get into a routine and just go. And it's great. Now, you're presumably talking about the universe of people who could, you know, have enough money, as you said, to afford three houses. But thinking of myself, even if I could afford three homes, I'm not sure I'd I'd want to. It's just painful to me just thinking about the amount of admin and hassle involved in in owning them and running them. For goodness sake, look, there's admin in life. I mean, get over (laughs) it. The the, the thing is that if you're well organised, then in fact, it's really brilliant. And it's brilliant because of this. Think how many times you've bought something... And it's a picture to go on a wall. It's a bit of furniture. It's a bit of tech. It's a bit of something or or maybe even, even clothing. And then you got bored of it and you thought, I'm bored of this now. And it needs to go and off it goes to the charity shop or it goes on eBay or, you know, hassle of that. What you can do is that you then take that stuff to your second and then possibly even to your third home. And you put a, a picture in, in a second home and suddenly it has a new lease of life. Uh, a bit of clothing that suddenly was you know it was nice it was great you got bored of it and then suddenly you take it to your second or third home and then it becomes the one that you do something else in, like the gardening or the you know walking the dog or the you know running around in and suddenly you're using your stuff much more effectively the second thing is that you do have to get organized and i realize that doing bins more than you know you have to do three loads of bins rather than one or sorting out you know all these utility bills and all that sort of stuff but once it's set up once it's on direct debit or whatever it is just leave it just let it go and it's fine and why is it that they always say to somebody if you want something done ask somebody who's busy already why because they're organized and they know how to do it and they'll get on with it this is about dealing with the fact that not all investments in stocks and shares and all these other things are as amazing as people might have you think and real estate is a great investment along with other things and you can use it. And if at any stage you don't want it, then guess what? You can sell it for probably more than you bought it for. But isn't it rather risky to be loading up on property, just as we're hearing all these warnings about a potential 35% drop in house prices if Britain crashes out of the EU? I mean, I'm not sure there'll be many people going long on property, particularly in the UK, with so much still to be resolved. Two things to say on that. And whilst I agree with your sentiment, the thing is that we're all talking about global market correction. So it doesn't actually matter where you put your money. Um, If it's in pounds, then it could suffer a devaluation. If it's in dollars, it could suffer some form of um, uh, backlash, if you like, against the trade war. If you're in tech, we could see some kind of readjustment of tech. I mean, for example, if you were in uh, Facebook shares recently, you didn't know that the two bosses of Instagram are going to walk out and the shares are going to go down by two and a half percent. So whatever investment you have, of course, you need to understand uh, the risks involved. The second thing is property is always a long-term investment. Don't ever buy it because you think, particularly a second or a third property, that you're just going to make money tomorrow because you're probably not. And and make sure that you've got investments elsewhere and and things to deal with income. And, And this is not your sort of the last pennies going into it. But also because that sentiment is out there, and I don't happen to agree with this, oh, you know, when we walk out of of the EU, there's suddenly going to be a market correction nonsense, a sort of bile put out by uh, Remainer people who are putting out Project Fear Mark III now. Uh, It's more about if that sentiment is there, you as a buyer, this is a great 
opportunity to buy. Yeah. This is a time at which you can go and secure the person who is very keen to sell and you will get a great price on buying but again do it with the knowledge that you're doing it with money that you are not going to be stressed out yourself should in the short term there be a price correction you do it because you want to you do it because you're going to use it and that's 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 great i was speaking last week to an estate agent for luxury overseas holiday homes and and they'd done a big piece of research Uh, into how the market had changed over the last 10 years. And one of the things that came out was that since the financial crisis, even the wealthiest homeowners felt it was somehow wrong to own assets without making full use of them, whether it's homes or fine art or classic cars. And so... And, you know, in addition, it's a lot easier to do that as the technology has improved uh, in, in the rental homes, the rental marketplace for homes. Why don't you personally want to rent out your holiday home? I think the point about it is it does depend on how much you use it. And and yes, I do see that there is that requirement, and certainly from some people, to try and maximise the returns. For me, it increases the hassle. Because as soon as you start having extra income coming from it, then, of course, you've got a different kind of tax return. Uh, in addition to that, um, there is... Uh, we are seeing a punitive tax rate applied particularly to those who are doing Airbnbs and various other things abroad and you need to watch out for that. Uh, but then of course there's wear and tear. So the, the small apartment bolt hole that I have in the French Alps which I bought uh, nigh on nearly 20 years ago uh, it's when I had a real job by the way um, uh, it's, I did it up then and it's still in great nick because it doesn't have people coming in and going out all the time. So I think you do have to think about refurbishment costs and you also have to think about your cash flow. If I needed cash flow, then to me, it's an opportunity to increase it should I find myself in in difficulties elsewhere. Because again, being freelance as I am, uh, it can go up, it can go down. You're not so sure. So there is something about using your assets more effectively uh, and trying to sweat them a bit more. I know I don't, but I do that out of choice, not because I don't necessarily want to. But I think you make a very good point that this is something that you should think about. And there are plenty of people I know who have an apartment, a ski apartment. It's kind of done up utilitarian style and they do let it out all the time and they do it to, to cover their costs, you know, the, the service charge in the, in the place or the local taxation. Thank you there very much to James Max. Uh, you can read his column in full in FT Money this weekend. That's all for the FT Money show this week. If you've got a story you'd like the FT Money team to follow up or a question to pose to our team of financial experts, get in touch, email us, money at ft.com, tweet us at FT Money, or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. We'll be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 